Exits for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. Back to X's for Podcast, the show where we take a look at the adventures of comics, Marvelous Mutants, week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And today, we have an episode that actually kind of fulfills a dream of mine. Now, I make no bones about it. I'm very proud that I'm a Cuban man, and so much of our staff are Latinx, and we are so proud of representing our heritage and our culture. And it means so much to so many of us, and the rest of our team are such incredible allies, and when I started this show, it was a half Latinx crew. And as it's grown, it's kind of stayed that number, even though we've gone from four to 16. And I kind of think it's really incredible that we've managed to form this super team of, you know, Latinx voices, while there has been this incredible rising of Latinx voices in Marvel Comics. And I think one of those voices that stands out the most powerfully has been the dynamic shift to a world where I can't imagine the Marvel Universe without America Chavez. Ms. America has had an incredible decade appearing in about 150 issues since she was first introduced in July of 2011 by Joe Casey and Nick Dragota in the pages of Vengeance Number 1. Though I would say her most high-profile appearance in the last few years has been the current miniseries America Chavez Made in the USA by Kalinda Vasquez and Carlos Gomez. Now we were lucky enough to sit down with Kalinda and talk about this series and it led me to realizing some of our audience might not know as much about America's incredible journey to super stardom. Having first appeared in that six-issue miniseries in 2011 and 2012, she would then go on to become a major part of Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey's Young Avengers, appearing in the bulk of that 15 issues. From there, she would have significant appearances in titles like Contest of Champions, Ultimates and Ultimates 2, as well as West Coast Avengers. She was also a role in the Empire event from last year, which focused on the space and kind of big science kind of things over in Marvel. So she has appeared kind of all over the place in the last few years, and this current miniseries by Kalinda Vasquez and Carlos Gomez is a great opportunity to refocus that character into a singular, specific place. Now, if you do want to go back and get some of those early adventures, there is a terrific Young Avengers omnibus out there, and a number of great collections putting the work of A-Force, Ultimates, and even her appearances in titles like Marvel Rising. But if you're looking to get your hands on her first appearance, Vengeance number one, since the success of this character, has skyrocketed from a book you could find in the dollar bin to a $1,400 book when it's in top condition. So America is definitely a character who whose popularity is continuing to retroactively increase the popularity of her earlier appearances. So if you are someone who wants to collect her before the movie, you know, kind of get on that maybe a little bit. But if you want to just keep up with her current appearances, this next segment sees myself, Nathan, and Rod, who did all the amazing work to get this interview together. What an amazing job and what a fun time we had talking with Kalinda. She not only is responsible for the current miniseries at Marvel for America, but she actually has a long and storied television television career with shows like Once Upon a Time, Nikita, and Star Trek Discovery under her belt. And we had an amazing time talking about everything from our favorite ships and pairings on TV to what it is about television and comics, a serialized media that has captured our attention so much that we make and listen to podcasts about it. We guys hope you enjoy this as much as we enjoyed making it. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to check Kalinda out online. (laughs) 
and welcome to the next segment of X is for Podcast. I'm Rod. You can find me at Rod Kamadel on Instagram and Twitter. And today we have with us the notorious Nico. Hey everybody, I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Hey everybody, it's Nathan. You can find me online at Twitter and Instagram at Dazzler AOA. And today we have with us a very, very special guest. We have Linda Vasquez with us. She has written on the Runaway series, the Star Trek Discovery, Once Upon a Time, and now she is writing America Chavez miniseries. Welcome, Kalinda. Hi. Thank you guys so much for having me. This is exciting. And like, you know, I loved the list that we've already hit, but I just need to, and Nikita, I just need to get Nikita (laughs) in there. Oh my God. Like, I'm going to push some people out of the way and just be like, hey, so Matt. Maggie Q is a vegan and she's a really spiritual person and y'all should watch Nikita. And like, so I just needed to, cause you guys had Lindsay Finesca after her stint on Desperate Housewives. So that's what brought me there. I had a lot of feelings about, and then Devin Sawa coming back with so many more feelings. And so Nikita was formative on me as a writer. So just like Nikita and you know, just Nikita, just saying. Wow. That's, that's awesome. I feel like that's one of those that I don't, hear about as much um, from fellow TV viewers. So it's very exciting to me that you watched the show and enjoyed it. <laughs> well, and I mean, and Once Upon a Time, not to be that Disney nerd too, but like, you know, and Once Upon a Time. So like, you know, you know I'm just... I'm very excited because your wealth of TV is a wealth I have enjoyed for a long time. So thank you. Oh, well, I was happy to participate in your entertainment enjoyment. I myself, I mean, I grew up watching a lot of TV and movies and had my nose in a book always. So (laughs) I definitely share the love for media. Oh, that's so awesome. Honestly, saying I was really, I didn't, um, when I first discovered you with basically America Chavez was the book, and then I looked you up, and I discovered that you written or have been a part of all these shows that I loved, like Fear of the Walking Dead, and I, shamefully, I know you told me to do it, but I haven't done it yet. I haven't started Star Trek Discovery <gasps> yet, any Star Trek. Oh, I tried. I didn't have time yet. I know. <laughs> I'm going to, I promise. I just, it, 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 I lost track of time. It was a huge honor to to work on that show I mean I kind of hint at it on my Twitter page I'm named after a Star Trek character yes yes I'm named after a guest star character episode 50 original series by any other name (laughs) (laughs) who was played by the actress Barbara Boucher who played Kalinda although she spelled it K-E-L-I-N-D-A I I spell it K-A-L-I-N-D-A I I don't think my dad knew how to spell it but he is was a huge Star Trek fan and as the story goes my mother was was pregnant and a rerun was on and he was like Kalinda shall be her name (laughs) because the the episode was rerunning Um, and so I really grew up I I mean, I don't remember a time when I didn't know what Star Trek was. It was just always like playing in the house and Next Gen aired when I was a kid. And so that was the series that I really grew up watching. And then, of course, DS9 and Voyager came out. I think we had like one glorious year where like maybe two or three of them were on TV at the same time. It's super exciting. And the franchise just has like this incredible legacy and has just kept going on and on and on and on. And I remember like I actually tried to get a job on this 
Discovery season one and was turned down and was like devastated and then ended up having the opportunity to come on board in subsequent seasons and and that was it was a huge thrill. Well, that sounds amazing. I'm so happy that you got the opportunity. I can't believe they turned you down on season one, but they got smart. <laughs> so good for them. <laughs> I just want to, I love that your name is spelled a little differently. I don't know if anybody here is an Arrested Development fan, but my husband has long had this theory that Lucille Ostero and Lucille Bluth cannot go by Lucille A and Lucille B because that would put Lucille Ostero ahead of Lucille Bluth. So they have to go by one and two so that they'll make sense in her own internal hierarchy. And that's why I'd like to think that your name is Kalinda with an A so that you come first. And that's just how it's going to be forever in my head. You are officially the Lucille Bluth of Star Trek in my head. And it's such a good place to be. That is a great place to be. Uh, I agree. And thank you. (laughs) (laughs) On Star Trek, right? So you co-wrote one of my absolute favorite episodes of current Star Trek, Terra Firma Part 2. Oh, my God. Like, just the deep dive into that relationship between uh, Emperor Jojo and uh, Michael Burnham. That's so amazing. Um, what What do you view that relationship between Michael Burnham and Emperor Jojo to be? You know, I think it's such an interesting one because she had such a strong relationship with Prime Giorgio, as we called her in the writer's room, because you had like Prime Giorgio and then Emperor Giorgio from Mirror Universe. That relationship ended in, the relationship with Prime Giorgio ended in such a tragic way. And so um, we always love talking about in the writer's room is like, here Michael has this opportunity to kind of make amends for what she feels was this terrible mistake that she made in the pilot you know of um of discovery and but this she's this totally different person she's like she has all these different qualities but at the same time those qualities speak to michael in a different way they bring out a different side of michael than you know prime Giorgio did and so it's like whereas i think you know we always talked about like a maternal a maternal daughter figure with uh burnham and prime Giorgio with mirror Giorgio, Emperor Giorgio, it gets kind of flipped on its head where like in a way Michael's teaching her that like, hey, you don't have to be this kind of psychotic <laughs> murderer, which she kind of is just because of the way that the Terran universe works. And so she's kind of bringing out the good in her. It's it's a little bit of reversal with the mentorship, I think. And just a, a one that was really interesting to get to, to explore. Now I got to ask, because I, I love this question, you know, anytime I meet a Trekkie did you have a favorite character going in before you started working with Star Trek like was there a character that resonated the most with you in the entire canon or for Discovery um either one for Discovery I would definitely say I mean not to be a basic B but like Michael Burnham was just my favorite character I thought she was just really interesting and you know getting to see a woman a woman of color centered like that on the show but she's not a captain right so she we kind of have a different entry point into the crew which had never really been done before i just i just love that character and sonequa martin green is such a wonderful actor and such a lovely human being that i'm just always going to root for her and enjoy watching her on screen and then if we're talking like overall canon it's a really hard question but i would say like i'm a sucker for like the spocks and da 
betas of the universe. Like, you know, people who kind of struggle with human emotion, who don't really understand it, who maybe have a slightly outsider stance, even on a universally accepting community is the one depicted on Star Trek. But I would say those are are two characters that uh, really resonated with me in the general canon. How about you guys? Except for you, Rod. I know you can't <laughs> I've watched the Star Trek movies. I like, I like, um, I like Zachary Quinto's character. <laughs> ah, yeah, I'm I'm a sucker for anyone ruled by passion. So mm. Major Kieran Reese will always oh, yeah. be my fucking queen. And uh, I top to bottom, just the entire cast of TNG not being able to keep their feelings in check for a goddamn single day. And <laughs> like every goddamn mission, it doesn't matter what it is, but they're gonna get into an like a really ethical dilemma about it and someone's gonna like bang on the table and picard is just gonna give them a knowing look and they're gonna be like oh i overstepped and they're gonna back up slightly and stew in the but so it's all of them on next gen but like if i had to pick a single person oh it's kira oh kira narice girl you bring it every day (laughs) it's just too much and it's not enough all at the same time (laughs) yes i love kira she's definitely one of my top tier I, I don't know. I was always drawn to uh, Beverly Crusher. I loved oh, her Beverly. humanity. I loved, I know, right? Like, I loved how she could balance it all. She was a competent officer. She could be a command officer. She was a doctor. She was a mother. She she did everything. Um, And she still had time to go out and run the theater program on the Enterprise. So, like, I just, I loved how she had this humanity and she was able to, she stood up for her values, even if the orders didn't tell her to do what she wanted, what she thought was right. She's a great character, and I actually feel like the medical officers in general are kind of underserved in the Star Trek universe. Like, they have such a huge role. I've always wanted to see, like, a Sipe show, you know, that was like ER, but set in the Trek world. I think that would be amazing. It's kind of, on the topic of medical bay and that it's you know that that's a place that you think is really fascinating something that i think about is sort of the evolution of of these creatures these these shows right and i'm going to keep it in the star trek universe but like the fact that you came into star trek discovery later on and that's such a pinnacle point for so many of us it's so many of our favorite episode like specifically and at the same time i think about how you came into once upon a time in the second and third season and how that was kind of a period of I don't I I never want to say fixing because there's nothing wrong with the earlier iterations of shows but it was definitely a point of moving once to what it would be permanently and I kind of feel the same thing happened with America this past month is there something that you really connect with about this idea of massaging what exists into its next form because like hearing you talk and listening to the things that you know I know that you've been part of it really does feel like you're a person about like transformation of art Art, and I find that really interesting. Wow, that's a that's a very um, <laughs> a very like flattering look at my at my work. I mean, I look for, for the TV projects. It is it is such a collaborative medium, and so I would never deign to take credit for you know like I was the one responsible for the shift. I mean, there's an entire writers' room right working behind it, and you know I like to think that you know my ideas had some kind of an impact, but ultimately. You you know, it is a group, a group effort and a group vision. And, you know, Michelle Paradise and Alex Kurtzman, you know, are, are kind of leading 
navigating the ship there with with discovery for sure but i do like just speaking personally as far as what i enjoy as a challenge as a writer i do like to mix things up and i do like to kind of re-examine characters and kind of go deeper with characters if i feel like there's an opportunity to explore an area of a character that we've never gotten a chance to explore before you know something that was fun on once upon a time is for those of you watch the show it's a flashback structure right so you would be following a character or characters in the present day and then you'd be flashing back to a moment from their past and one of my favorite kind of activities in the writer's room was like oh what's the part like we haven't seen before like have we not seen about their childhood have we not seen like the early days of you know their romance with this formative you know relationship have we not seen them interact with their parents like that was always super fun and intriguing to kind of dig into areas that you know that were fresh snow (laughs) pun intended (laughs) i love that yes and like i think you see that with regina that season two three change with regina from this caricature of evil to a very specific idea of a person who was looking to grow past her tragedy and her trauma and you know that's i think that's something that and i never mean to discredit anybody when i'm like oh i see this common factor on multiple things at their point of change is a couple of writers you know what i mean like it's never ever taking anything away from the other amazing contributions of other writers you know it's just seeing that there's a consistent uh, a consistent placement to you being part of things as they're sort of transforming that definitely shown this week especially in america but talking about the projects we were just discussing it's like it's really kind of palpable so you know it's it's there so you're welcome for the compliment but thanks for earning it <laughs> <laughs> i want i do want to say i do love uh, the transformation of regina she's honestly my favorite character of once upon a time um since you talk about your favorite characters in star trek overall who would be probably your favorite character that you were helping write or that you just like in general once upon a time Ooh, that's a good one um i mean look regina uh i do have a soft spot in my heart for regina just because i think she is a complicated character and she's done so many horrible things but she's also like there's a real humanity to her and she's also suffered a lot and you know lana parija is uh, half puerto rican i'm half puerto rican so and um, so good you know that was that was exciting too i i'm sad to say that i haven't had the op- opportunity to write for a ton of latinx humans on tv let alone puerto rican humans so that that's exciting just on a personal level but you know that that show had so many great characters you know Rumpelstiltskin another great character another guy who did a lot of terrible things <laughs> but also went through a lot also faced a huge amount of loss in his life and Robert Carlyle such a terrific actor and he brought so much to that role my husband and I cosplay Killian and Emma so you're hitting all of my buttons right now amazing <laughs> I so you're like you're you're singing my life. I just love this. Keep telling us how much you love once, please. <laughs> They, and I really rooted for Killian and Emma. I know not everyone yes. was into that ship. I know there was like a lot of sensitivity surrounding the ships on the show, but I I was definitely I shipped Captain Swan. I think was the official. Yep. Yeah, it was. Yep. I, hashtag, yep. I hashtagged that a lot <laughs> on my days of watching that show. I was a big Captain Swan fan, and just I rooted for the villains a lot. I just I wanted them to be happy, and every time. 
time they screwed themselves over and not made themselves happy anymore. I was like, no, it was right there. <laughs> you know, I mean, look, I am a Disney nerd. I actually have tickets to go next weekend with my family to Disneyland, which is just reopened oh. in Anaheim fully during these COVID times. And I normally go several times a year. I grew up watching all the movies. Um, Former cast member. So <gasps> what? Shut the Tell fuck me. up. No, for real. I, I worked on Main Street. I was Main Street pack. I was basically the guy that was like, hi, folks, for your safety and my sanity, please keep your kids inside the ropes and the tape at all times. For your safety, no flash photography during the show. Sustained video lighting is kind of tricky as well, so we're going to ask you guys to turn that off. Next up, I want you guys to recognize that if you are looking to cross during the parade, there will be intervals. As a matter of fact, I, Nico, hi, everybody, say hi to me again. Hi, everybody. We're going to have timed intervals, at which point we're going to lead you guys right through to the exit. So if you're looking to leave, don't worry, you're not trapped. If you only want to watch the first half of the parade, that's fine too. And like, <laughs> I did this I'm for I'm dying years. over here. I did not know that. <laughs> I oh, did yeah. not personally know that. That was amazing. And then I got married in Disney World. That's why, you know, it like timed out. So, <laughs> Wait, tell me about the ceremony. Uh, we did it at, uh, so I, I'm crazy, and we did it at sunset, exactly, at uh, the oh, wedding goodness. pavilion uh, overlooking the castle. And then we walked over and had the whole Whitehall uh, area from the Grand Floridian uh, decked out for us. And we did a great Gatsby-themed wedding. Oh, my so, God. Like, the Our salads were served in martini glasses <gasps> that hung from, uh, like, a wrought iron tree. And you picked your salad off of the tree. And uh, we had a mashed potato bar that, like, we had the servers be like, what kind of what kind of potatoes do you want? And, like, we did it all Gatsby. And, yeah, it was nuts. Fantastic. <laughs> I love the 1920s. I love Art Deco stuff. My wedding was actually had a lot of 20s, 30s, like old Hollywood um, oh, influence. It. Uh, it was not in it was not in Disney World. It was in uh, New York. <laughs> but that is so amazing. That sounds like an incredible event. It was real gay. <laughs> it was real, real Fantastic. gay. Yeah. And, you know, and now we cosplay uh, Captain Swan. And that's what you do. That's what you do that's with what your you life. That's what you do. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Speaking of things that we all, well, not all, that as Kalinda has done with her life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, you've written a lot of TV shows and that is super amazing, special, awesome. What made you go over to being a comic book writer for America Chavez? Like what led you to that journey? I had actually written a couple of comics a few years ago. I don't know if you guys remember the show Jericho. <gasps> Shut the fuck up! You wrote the Jericho comics? Oh my no, God. you did not! I wrote the last season of the Jericho comics. Oh, I have geez. that then. Yes. <laughs> oh my, oh my yes. god. I'm gonna, like, I... We're going to hang out and you got to sign because <laughs> That's ridiculous that I am. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I bought them for Charlie. So yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> I wrote season four in the comics. I worked with a lot of the the creative individuals behind the original show on my second credit, a show called Human Target. Oh my um, god, the Mark Valley show, the uh, based on the Pete Milligan perfect vertigo book. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> that was like my favorite goddamn show. Mark Valley could uh wink and I would melt and it would never ever recoalesce ever. And Human Target was such an unsung spectacular piece of fiction that got to be on Fox for not anywhere near long enough and it was just such a perfect adaptation of comics on television it was so it was it was so good sorry um no this this is exciting you guys are getting like all my deep cuts i'm like normally i have to explain what human target is 
the, like, the oh, Pete Milligan is like <laughs> Pete Milligan is where I go to feel safe at night. So like that it was you know that human target like Final Cut human target like oh so good. Um, well, I'm so glad you enjoyed it. I I it was my second gig in TV. I worked on season one. The majority of the staff had worked on Jericho. It's actually where I met my husband while working on that show. Through the relationships that I made on that show, when season four came up to be written for IDW, they were looking for a writer. And I had never written in comics before, but definitely read them and enjoyed them and was like, oh, wow, this would be an amazing, you know, medium to try my hand in. That was technically my first gig in comics. And then I there was actually a Once Upon a Time graphic novel that I wrote. I think it was the second one that came out. There was one that came out season two. And then and then there was a collection of stories. So there was one featured a Belle story, one that featured a Regina story, one that featured a Hook story. And that was my second foray into comics. That's amazing. And then a couple years went by where nothing happened. And I knew some of the editorial staff on Marvel because my husband had written a bunch of books for Marvel. His name is Robbie Thompson. And so he did like the first solo Silk run. Yeah. And oh, meet the right. Scrolls. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, like not like to be like, oh my God, your husband. Because like I'm, you know, but like, oh my God, your husband. <laughs> I love that Silk run so much. So much. Um, it was super fun and 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 I got to know you know some of the the editors over there and who are super great people and then like a year I gosh it was a while ago I mean it's gonna actually be two years in August that uh, Annalise Bisa reached out to me and was like hey we're looking at doing an America Chavez book would you be interested and I was like holy cow yes I <laughs> I am definitely interested <laughs> and the conversation started from there and I started writing it in earnest I would say at the very beginning of 2020 then you know we had a slowdown because of, of COVID but then book picked back up again and I am done writing the five issues it's been so amazing to see you know the rest of, of the team you know build out that book and really make it what it is like Carlos is such an incredible artist Jesus on colors the different covers we've had one of my favorites is the one by by Sarah Pacelli you know oh, letterer so Travis like getting to see the whole team's work you know come together into this book has just been an awesome experience I've loved it so far and there's only three issues out but I mean it's halfway done and I I'm like everyone who will listen I'm like go read this book <laughs> go read it so we can get more Kalinda's awesome she needs more work in the comic book industry for Marvel we need her to put you on more books go read it go buy it now <laughs> <laughs> well thank you I would love to get more work in comic. I'm glad that you guys have been enjoying it. I will confess that you know, you you asked me to be on the podcast before issue three came out and internally I was like, I hope they still want to invite me after issue three. <laughs> oh, I loved it. I loved it. Like I, I love the reinvention. I actually have a question about that. If we could talk about it. I, yeah. I really enjoyed it. I At first when I read it I did have a question mark in my head but then, you know, we've all, you like Kalinda, you said you are a comic book fan as well before you even started writing comics. Um, we all know about retcons or just like developing a story in a different way. So as you said, you were you were a little nervous <laughs> about coming on after that issue. <laughs> when you were writing issue three, 
What did you expect people's reaction to be for the reveal of that whole issue? So I had a feeling that it would be divisive, which it was. But I mean, my hope was that people would like it, would connect to it. I mean, I guess I would say that's naively my hope with with anything that I work on is not to make people be upset or offended. <laughs> it's, it's to, you know, have people, you know, enjoy it. And even if they don't like love it that they're like oh I'm intrigued like I want to I want to read more I want to see where this goes I have questions but like you know maybe I didn't think of it her character in this way before and to kind of to really for me it was an opportunity to pivot excuse me the character and I hoped that um, people would be excited and I've since seen that some are some are not and that totally (laughs) makes sense you know um, I do think it's hard when you I mean look I've been on like both sides of of this coin where there's like stories that I've been invested in and suddenly they make a shift and I'm just like what are you doing (laughs) I love how intense you got there yeah (laughs) that was perfect and you know I I do want to say like as a Latino creator right I I make comics and I'm Cuban and like my first thing I was like okay first thing I'm doing I'm making a Cuban comic book character because like it matters right and so like as somebody who looks to see his his family in things you know i i love joe casey and i love nick dragota and as much as i'm sure they were like this character we're creating is awesome i don't think they could have known what she was going to come to be and what she was going to come to represent and you know it's the you know the 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 delectable design of jamie mckelvey and kieran gillen that brought her to Young Avengers, where, again, two creators I really love, but not two creators I would particularly refer to as Latina. And, <laughs> you know, it's really, it feels good having a succinct place to be like, you know what? Yeah, there was stuff before it, but if you want to read and understand who America is going forward, and we've talked about it a lot on this show, the MC unification, right? MC unification, where they're, the goal is to create a version of the character that will translate to film well and be digestible for new audiences I feel like you know it she was due for it she had been so beautifully unfocused in her creation but all characters deserve that that perfect moment of origin that 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 touch tone moment that you can be like it's that fucking thing you know what I mean and I think that's what we're getting here and I I do understand that the audience is a divisive reaction but you know just it always seems to settle down and canon seems to stay canon so I'm not too worried like the the audience is dumb and they're gonna come realize (laughs) (laughs) You're going to come to realize this is great. And it's important that we think about the restructuring of a character from an editorial standpoint. We can keep, keep, we can keep in all of that scattershot that's been built across a hundred issues and seven runs, or we can think about the longevity of a character like Miss America. And we can think about her representational value to a United States that needs a strong Latina. And we can think about a way to craft a story that moves the character forward. I think it's reactionary of the audience to be reactionary absolutely but i think ultimately as the story stands we're going to see an adaptation of people realizing what did they ever really know about her origin anyway 
And I think that's going to be something that plays out over the next few years in regard to this story. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely hope so. And I, I mean, look, I think some of this too is, I don't want to say taste, but like, look, like stories are subjective. Um, for me as a writer, I really need to think of things in a very kind of grounded way. And, you know, like even just as an example, even when I was working on a show like Once Upon a Time, which was like a high fantasy show with dragons, and witches and all this kind of thing when approaching those stories I would always try and be like okay well how would a character realistically emotionally react to this crazy scenario because without that I can't anchor myself in the story everything just starts to feel like willy-nilly and like I always say that there's kind of like a fine line between the whimsical and the nonsensical and so in approaching America I was like okay how can this be just very grounded taking the pieces you know and there were some great pieces in her backstory and like really rooting them in a reality that people can relate to now for some people they're like no the utopian parallel was this paradise it doesn't matter that it didn't make sense I loved it you know and I I respect that I really do you know I cannot approach my writing that way as much as I appreciate that other people have that aesthetic it is not mine like things actually do need to make sense to me particularly from an emotional pov and so i can only come at it you know that way what i loved about the the reinvention of her origin was you still kept those those memories that she had they they have meaning they have weight they make sense in your reinvention of it uh, but like you said it, it makes her human like it she's not just this alien from another reality or she's not just a person from another reality she's a human from our reality and every bit of representation that she has matters and it's not just throwing an alien out there that looks like somebody who is being their representation so that that's what i loved about it awesome i'm glad and i think that was definitely you know part of the intent too um, yeah i would say i i love so much besides just like that point of issue number three just like the past two issues and even in issue number three um the how you have her talking with her family and a family talking with each other you know all the latinx characters um you really obviously really understand their point because you're a latinx yourself but it's nice to see a another a latinx person you know writing their own culture and being able to express it in an actual like how they talk to each other and how instead of you know someone not of that culture just trying to write it and make it seem kind of stereotypical in a sense mm -hmm. but i don't get that in your writing at all and it was really refreshing to see besides this the amazing art that is in this book which it is amazing it's it is spectacular amazing. carlos uh, is so talented oh definitely but i really love just the way you have the characters talking to each other and that emotional impact it is with her you know her mom and her adoptive mom and dad it's just it, it really touched my heart and i i really thank you for that oh thank you you're gonna make me get emotional here <laughs> <laughs> i mean look that was definitely what i was hoping to achieve what carlos and jesus um, and Travis, you know, what I feel we achieved together was an organic picture of representation, you know, because I do agree with Nico. I don't know if, if you agree, but sometimes I look at, you know, stories that are meant to target Latinx audiences and it can just feel kind of canned and like trying a little bit too hard. And, and that's frustrating, you know, because it's like I want to see more representation, but then when it's inauthentic, it's like wait no we were we, it's like one step forward two 
steps back. And, you know, in my family, we, we have a thing for that right now. So my dad is Cuban and my mom is a, a sweet little Irish lady. And my mom has a lot of people in her life that she has to give a very passing, nice white lady smile to. And uh, she calls it her saccharine smile, right? And whenever anybody's like, did you read that book with that Latin person that did such a good job? I'm always like, huh? Which is like, like one of the few things I felt like really served my Latino identity was Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which was, I, I just really felt like those women were the people. First of all, Amy Santiago's father is my fucking father. There's this <laughs> moment where they're they're showing a clip of him bird watching, and somebody goes, oh, look, I found goes, ah, 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 I found that one earlier. Doesn't count. And I'm like, that's literally my father. Oh, my God. And then another point, he literally is trying to outdo this other person with love. He's trying to out love another person and he just takes the watch off his wrist and goes here take my watch now you are a santiago and like that is actually my dad so like it just it felt like my family but for the most part when somebody's like you know kyle rayner's latino i'm like hey we don't ever throw that in anyone's face ever there's there's just these points where i'm like that's not my identity i appreciate you're using the phrase thank you but you know and not to not to be like hey what's up but uh rod and nathan can tell you like i would say of our cast of 16 people like eight are latino because it's it's really a way that we identify my partner uh my fiance juan uh is latinx and he actually has a uh if you don't mind he has a question that he would want to ask you about america chavez uh of course yeah i don't know if you've seen him on twitter at all he's at chango atx he definitely loves your work as well um his question was america chavez has been connected to a lot of mystical characters between wiccan and uh loki do you see yourself touching on America's connection to magic at all? Um, I am going to plead the fifth on that one <laughs> because of potential spoilers. Yeah, true. Um, and I will say, ask me that again after this run is over. <laughs> I will at you <laughs> later okay. after, after the next year. I'll be like, hey, remember, I want to ask you this again. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. The show is a lot about found family kind of exchanging ideas. We wanted to have a really like local comic shop feel where everyone just kind of pulls up and talks. So we have a few questions we tend to ask people. I mean, no promises that I'm going to have like, you know, uh, quippy and quick responses, but I'll certainly give it a shot. <laughs> oh no, we're great at editing. Don't you worry. We take out anything that makes you uncomfortable and make you sound like a million bucks. All right. We got this. <laughs> Everything turns out looking like David E. Kelly in 1999 it's a beautiful oh wow right it's got that fox gloss and a little bit of that abc drama filter it's everything you need so the x-men's hellfire gala coming up there's a lot of focus on like the fantastic outfits everybody's wearing to the gala and a number of us have actually had like gala commissions uh done and actually by rod's incredible fiance who does amazing artwork but point of story is so a lot of us are thinking a lot about going now here's my question for you who do you see yourself going with and do you see yourself leaving with someone else oh my god this is really gonna kind of reveal (laughs) some some inner preferences i feel like i would go with cyclops but leave with wolverine 
I love this answer (laughs) so hard, and I can't stand it. Okay, that definitely speaks to Nico's heart. It really does. He's like, he's over there probably like, oh yeah. I'm just like, I'm just like me and Kalinda. We're the same person. It's spectacular. I just kind of feel like Cyclops is like the the date that you think you want. You know, he's so handsome and virtuous, and but then you get there and you're like, I don't know, Wolverine. Like he's like kind of a bad boy and exciting and so yeah i hug my wolverine build-a-bear and agree with you so (laughs) (laughs) i think uh i remember a friend of mine after the x-men movies came out and i think she put it best she's like cyclops is the guy that you like you want a framed photo of him on your desk at work but then like wolverine is like who you actually want to you know climb into bed with yes (laughs) i I completely agree with that <laughs> no, that's that's me with Gambit. So <laughs> now, I have a pretty similar answer, like where I want to go and get all the pictures taken, and then who I want to leave with. I want to show up with Magneto. I want every motherfucking eye on me. If I'm doing it that good, that I've been shining up my big bald head, then I want to be there with Magneto, and I want the two of us to look beautiful. But here's what's going to happen: he's going to start, you know, arguing with some foreign diplomat over something. I'm not going to want to be there for that. And I think I'm going to speak <laughs> out with my uh, my boyfriend, Phantom X. Okay. I think, uh, <laughs> I think the two of us might want to get up to a little bit of no good somewhere. And I think uh, Phantom X would know exactly where to find all the best kinds of no good. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, mean I would want to show up with Bishop because Bishop is a very handsome man. And then he has, I don't know how tall he is technically, but I would want to take a prom pose with him because his arms are so big. He could just wrap me up. And I would love that. Um, and, then, <laughs> and then I would want to leave with Manifold because Manifold knows all the hot spots. And Ooh. I mean, he can go anywhere. So we can go all over the place after that Hellfire Gala. They're related. Yeah. Uh, you know what? They are. They are. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't say I was going to do It's fine. If I no, I'm, not complaining. I'm not complaining. And he's 6'6". Six, six. He's 6'6". Six, six. Which one? Bishop. Oh, I mean, I'm, that's, uh, I don't find many people taller than me because I'm 6'3". So that's perfect. Right? Ooh. So, Now, I feel like, okay, so I've been a little hard on Gambit lately. Just, I'm going to own it, but, like, I am just not in the mood for Lothario at the moment. (laughs) Poor Nathan has heard me aggressively attack Gambit with my every fiber. I'm just, like, I'm just tired of dudes that get a pass for being so pretty. I'm going to give you a hint. Pretty is a fleeting commodity. So, um, Nathan, that said, if you do want to bring Gambit, I promise I won't judge. Nathan, I really no. hope your answer is go with Gambit, leave with Gambit. Uh, <laughs> hey, I was gonna, I was gonna go with Lila Cheney and leave with Gambit, but I'll go with Gambit and leave with Gambit. Yeah, I'm honestly yeah. surprised he's not leaving with Dazzler. Like honestly, <laughs> yeah, no, I don't really, I don't think I'd want to like date Dazzler. I just want to like. Oh, I know you're just her, like so, such yeah. a fanboy. You just want to follow right. her around anywhere. <laughs> Right. <laughs> One of the things that has really set the X-Men apart for the last however many years, but it's a super necessary part of the functionality of X-Men, is this understanding of Lone Wolf and Cub having imprinted on Chris Claremont so significantly, and then it you know naturally imprinting on the series as a result. So there's all of these instances of either Lone Wolf and Cub, where it's the older samurai figure and the younger figure like you know a Logan with Kitty, and then there's even a lot of instances of sort of, you know, what I want with Phantom X, 
where it's the two of us are up to no good in the form of Yukio and Storm. Or you know what? I'll even put it. Uh, Raven and Sabretooth, when the two of them would team up. So I want to know, who is your sort of like, you haven't seen it yet, but that's the the, the duality you want to see, the didad that you want to see. I just made up a great word, didad. <laughs> and um, who would be your pairing in whatever regard? It doesn't have to be, you know, relationship, but that sort of sense of yin-yang X-Men. So I would say the polar opposites that I would love to see together would be give me a Iceman and North Star because Iceman's such a... Like, Northstar is such a, 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 he's a jerk, he's a jerk. Northstar is a jerk. And Bobby is such a, like, fun, happy-go-lucky kind of guy. So I, it'd be really interesting to see him play off each other. Dueling white queens without an Emma in sight. I really enjoy <laughs> that. Mine is such a, I push it all the time. But I really think that Monet and Tabby need to team up. I think oh. there's something so uh, surreal about Monet's calm, cool, collect poise. You know, Monet is exactly that moment. She's that character on the sitcom where you can't get a bad photo of her, right? And then Tabby is, no matter how fabulous she is, Tabby's kind of always fallen down the stairs. And, you know, she's always a little bit hungover the next morning. And she kind of always smells like bar pretzels. So, like... <laughs> You know, she's she's troubled, but she's fantastic. And I really think there'd be something about her teaching Monet that it's okay to eat popcorn straight out of the bag and Monet teaching her that like it's okay to want to try sometimes. I feel like that would be a really great way to get unique things out of both of these fascinating women who just neither one has gotten a fair enough shake of late. Although, hey, X-Core, what's up? <laughs> I actually thought of mine now. I don't think they've actually been a team up that has that's just been them two. They're a lot alike, but it would be fun to see their interactions. Um, Laura, uh, Wolverine, aka X-23, and Magic. Ooh. Like a true team up of the two of them would be so great. Yeah, yeah like just them two. To them doing something, going to limbo. I don't know where. Somewhere. She can teleport. So, <laughs> like, them two going somewhere. Because they're very similar. They're very aggressive. They're very, like, no nonsense. I'm going to do what I want. But, like, they, they both can't do what they want if it's opposite. Like, they have to collaborate with each other. And that would be really fun to see. I love that. And that's, like, that's such a hot... I don't know. Like, I mean, Kalinda, you have to go write that. Like, I mean, that's... <laughs> So hot. Like. Well, I was gonna say X twenty three too, but my pair up was gonna be with Jean Grey. Ooh. Okay. Oh, okay. So Jean's my thing. Do it. Do it all day. <laughs> I love that too. Yes. I just thought something interesting between a more like establishment, you know, X Men character, and then X twenty three with her, you know, crazy backstory. That was a backstory that was very impactful to me, and kind of I think those two might have a fun dynamic. Wow, I and like I love how everybody has something that they're looking for. That's such a like. There's no way that Jean and Laura could walk away from working together and not be changed. I mean, I know they've worked together, but yeah. I don't think there's ever been like a Gene Laura team up where we really oh, yeah. explore that that dynamic. And you know, yeah. this idea that Laura needs more time with Ileana is so central to how significant they both are. Ugh, I want all these books. <laughs> <laughs> 
Gimme. And, and Kalinda's gonna write them all. We just booked her. So there we go. Yeah. We, we, we're collaborating with Marvel right now. We this is your surprise hiring. From your lips to Marvel's ears. Right. <laughs> I I want nothing more than Marvel team up to come back. And I feel like we we've seen it a bit, but we haven't seen like a flagship Marvel team up the way it used to exist. And I, I know I'm talking about like 1977 and I wasn't even born yet. But like <laughs> I care about these things you know like it's it's one thing to be like oh i love stephen bochco i've watched nypd blue but it's another thing to be like i've watched hill street blues you know what i mean like yeah, yeah you gotta yeah, yeah. like you gotta sink into it it's we've all seen west wing but who's watched sports night you know what i mean it's <laughs> it's that Your sort tv of... knowledge is very deep i'm very impressed oh it gets worse <laughs> uh, no, i uh yeah uh it, tv is something that i think i think the idea of serialized stories telling in a form that we're able to digest because we're able to associate it with an aesthetic goes to the heart of why people still go to see theater right but i think one of the things that we've allowed tv to do is we've allowed it to uh, establish the sense of surrender and the first time i felt that sense of surrender that total obliteration of my actual self into this tv show world i had just marathoned buffy like seasons one two three four five six like i had taken the, a week off from work because i had to i worked at a bank and you had to take a week off at a time to make sure that you weren't cooking the books and I <laughs> I took that time and I was like I'm going to watch these DVDs that I spent so fucking much money on and I remember one of my friends being like Nico you're running late you got to come to this thing and I was like oh fuck okay uh, well I looked in the mirror and I went clothes and I snapped my fingers <laughs> <laughs> and nothing happened except the oh. so I you know I really I said to myself I want to I want to understand serialized story Storytelling, and you know, I, I've spent a lot of time. That's really what this is. This is about analyzing serialized storytelling because I think there's something about the way characters evolve over time, and there's a sense of like sort of shamanistic storyteller in the way that these characters pass from writer to writer. There's a a sense of legend, right? And the, the fun stories are stories about heroes, but the really great stories are legends, and they mm -hmm. become a million clones of themselves over and over. And I think you can't really appreciate what you got now on tv if you know you don't look a little bit further back and everybody's like oh the age of the remake and i'm like yeah but lassie and flipper and the breeze <laughs> and the beef don't do this and like yeah. you know i just feel like tv is as good as you've made it your life you know it's worth it's worth celebrating and studying and i just think it's really cool I definitely agree. I mean, um, I've been watching TV my whole life and watching, uh, you know, reruns from the days of Leave It to Beaver and Lassie and My Two, my Three Dads, Two Dads. Huh? Oh, my, yeah. my Two Dads? I'm from Sarahville, New Jersey. Where were Greg Evigan is from? Oh, my God. <laughs> Love it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and, and absolutely, you can't. You can't fully, you know, appreciate, I think, what you have now until you look at all the things that came before it. And it has been a, a process and it has been like an evolving of a medium. And it's fascinating. It's that bridge from Dark Shadows to Twin Peaks to Twin Peaks The Reunion. It's, you know, that idea that even this sort of subgenre of weird soap opera had to evolve on TV. And it's because TV is a living medium, you know, it, yeah. it is by its audience and the audience interaction dictates what 
comes. You know, you can have a thing that's really popular. They, t- you know, the next season at Upfronts, there's 15 spinoffs and of them get picked up, you know, and it's like mm-hmm. always a really interesting thing to see what the audience will and won't tolerate. Mm-hmm. And I'm just really with you. Sorry. I, I, I love TV <laughs> and I love talking to a TV <laughs> you're someone who not just has a body of work that I think is impressive, but like, I actually like, like your body of work. So it's not one of those things where it's like, oh, I've heard of your show. So I'm like, oh no, you've got good brains. Let's talk about this. And like, so I apologize for fanboying a little hard. No, not at all. Not at all. I love it. I love talking about, you know, TV because I am, you know, the reason that I chose to work in the field is because of how much I loved it and, uh, and, and love it still. And, you know, I'm fascinated by it. Definitely. I'm, yeah. I've never like talked to a, I feel like a major TV writer like yourself like this before. So it's really good to have an insight like this to see like the little, like a little insight of the inner workings and everything and just how you feel about it and how it really like affects your life and the passion that you have for it's really nice to um, I guess not to see because I'm not seeing it but I'm hearing it (laughs) 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 like in your in your mind's eye if you're like man I really want to write this character one day what character would that be and why in the Marvel comic universe I'll give you like an easy answer while I think of like maybe the better answer which is (laughs) I loved working on Runaways um, Mm. the show I love that comic I love Brian K. Vaughn's original run um, of that book um, I love those characters and I know you know Rainbow Rowell is is keeping the torch going with that book right now but that's that's a title that I'd be like wow that would be amazing um, but you know it's interesting like as as honored as I was to be asked to write America Chavez and as honored as I am to write her I also think it would be um, great to write a title like Spider-Man you know where it's like yes I'm a Latinx woman that doesn't mean that every character I write has to be a Latinx woman you know what I mean like I would love to write a title that's like a white cis male you know (laughs) like and like even though yes more white cis male more white (laughs) cis male well it's funny because like it's like yes we've had our culture has been inundated with those types of characters Um, and they have taken up so much bandwidth right so it's not that I'm saying I want more of those characters I'm just saying like Spider-Man is such a legacy title like Wolverine you know like when you like Thor like you know when you think about um, like these really iconic like you know the Avengers right Um, and the different people who make up that team like I think uh, I think it would be cool to try and and play around with one of those like mega mega icons too i I do have one question i always like to ask everybody um so if somebody really enjoyed this america chavez series that you're writing what would another piece of media along any of the works that you've done what would you suggest to them say they haven't seen any of these fantastic shows you've been on what would you suggest that they pick up i would say i would say discovery and i would say runaways i mean i feel like runaways is it's kind of the obvious answer right because it's like marvel heroes and it's it's kind of in the same age group that one feels like maybe the obvious one but then i would also say like if you're someone like rod who's never really gotten into star trek 
um, <laughs> that you would, you know, enjoy it, I think, if you enjoy some of the things in America. See, and that's what I was trying to tell Rod. Discovery is a great entry point into the franchise just because, yes, if you know all the, the lore and canon, it helps and it enhances it, but you don't need all of that to jump in. No, not at all. I promise I will get stuff to Discovery <laughs> soon. I just, I had a lot. I went on vacation last weekend and I had a lot going on, but I am going to start Discovery soon. <laughs> Rod is very Star Trek open. He's not against it. He's very for it. I, I, I love cosmic stuff. like, And I love the new series, uh, comic series Sword. And Nico and Nathan told me Star Trek Discovery is a lot like Sword. So I'm like all yes. for it. <laughs> well, I look forward to hearing what you think. And not just Discovery too. I mean, as much as I love it and I had the privilege to work on it, but you know, feel free to go back to next gen and work your way through Deep Space Nine. And like, there's so oh, much. Cisco, Cisco, love Cisco, and and Kira and Odo. Oh, as much as I love Next Generation, it got me into the franchise. Like Deep Space Nine is just this oh, this deep, intricate. Like it's a first serialized storytelling, right? For Star Trek. So, oh. and you can really see where Ronald D. Moore was honing his space religion. Oh, you yeah. know what I mean? It's it's really like the birthplace of the whole idea of the Cylon religion and then you know that in turn so heavily influenced uh, Secret Invasion with He Loves You and it's just so fascinating. Yeah no it is and uh, shout out my favorite Deep Space Nine episode is The Visitor. Love that one. Good taste. Hey everybody, Nico here one more time. Now, in this next segment, Rod, Raven, and Robbie do their normal 3R thing where they're going to take a look at the issue of America Chavez that was discussed at length in the interview. Of course, this segment is our honest opinions, and that's what you get from Exes for Podcast. While we are always encouraging and positive of any work we discuss, it's okay to say, I like this, with reservations, even when you've had the writer on. And it's sort of that discussion that's so central and important to the idea of evolving characters characters like America. It would have been really easy to keep her at the original origin that was provided to her, which lacked a lot of details and left a lot up to the imagination of the reader. But in this next segment, you're going to hear how three people of color react to a redefining of one of the most significant characters of color currently at Marvel as she is on her rise. We hope you guys enjoy this next segment as much as we've enjoyed making it for you. And if you like what you hear, you might even like what you see. So don't forget to give us a subscribe over on Patreon, YouTube, and Twitter. If you wouldn't mind drop us a review over on apple podcast when you subscribe to tell everybody just how much you love us guys as always we love making this show for you twice a week every week so until next time enjoy this last segment keep those mutant lights lit those crocoan gateways open and we will see you hello and thank you for coming to the next segment of x's for podcast my name is rod you can find me at rod Pamadel on twitter and instagram and today we have with us the righteous raven hello it's raven aka dame red bento d-a-m-e-r-e-d-b-e-n-t-o and today we also have with us robbie how you doing oh i'm great hey everyone i am robbie and you can find me at age of polaris on twitter and today we are talking about the third issue of America Chavez made in the U.S. of Earth. It is written by Kalinda Vasquez and <laughs> the artist is Carlos Gomez and the color artist is Jesus Alberto and the letterer is V.C.'s Travis Lanham.
Now, this issue is very controversial. This, this rocked the internet this week um, because it basically rewrote America Chavez history backstory uh how we know it that she's supposed to be you know grow up on this utopia with her two moms and then the utopia the moms sacrificed themselves close the utopia because it was you know destroying itself and then she you know was traveling universe trying to find herself and become a hero turns out that might not be true according to this issue we don't know for sure but it might be different now we're going to do something a little bit different this episode we're basically going to talk about how we how we have felt and how we want to if it is true how we think this is maybe a good thing are a bad thing? What are our base thoughts on it? First, I want to go to Robbie because Robbie is. I feel like Robbie, this might touch on you a little bit more because you are a Latinx person, and mm-hmm. this story basically, if it is true, confirmed that America isn't just like a multi-dimensional being. She is a Latinx person. So overall, I'm kind of like in the middle with this recon or <laughs> five recons. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I do like the introduction of her having a sister. I feel like that is a connection that could be, that could kind of build on that. At the moment, it feels very unsure, uh, because we really, at the end of the day, don't know what their intentions are with the character. Like, we don't know if they plan on making her a long-term antagonist of America, or we don't know if she might just end up being, like, a really close ally to her sister. And, but with the retcon itself, so I do like, I really do like that she is Puerto Rican and not a character that's from a multi-dimensional place that have, that came and like adopted the culture. Because at the end of the day, we really do not have many um, Puerto Rican characters. We have America and Miles. <laughs> And not many others. <laughs> yeah. So I really like that. But at the same time, I could understand the disappointment in how a lot of people really liked that utopian parallel concept. And so it's complicated because I completely understand why Kalinda would want to recon a few issues with America in the past. But I think what complicates it is that I'm really unsure at this moment where they're going with a lot of these recon choices. Because I feel like it'll be something where I'm going to know if I really love it or not care for it as much by the end of this. But my but my view on it overall is that I really do love that she is Puerto Rican and not a character who happened to adopt the Puerto Rican culture. And then also I do like that in a way, well, it is cool that her parents are from the Bronx because that can be something that a lot of people can relate to because uh, my mom was actually born there. So, um, and then she went and was raised on the island after that. So, um, but one thing, hmm, but it's so conflicting though, because I don't know. Okay. You guys get what I mean. Like (laughs) I like a lot of of this stuff, but at the same time, a few of the choices are 
you know, I'm so unsure about. And I'll end yeah, up no, a I'm, little bit there. I'm, I'm very much with you on that. It's you. We had this really great kind of fantastical backstory um, for this character and seeing her growing up raised in um, this culture that we don't get to see uh, front and center very often and then to have it kind of retcon. So, oh, no, there was never any place where people of color could be, you know, in this utopia living happily and free and oh you know yeah no your your parents were just from here they were just from another part of here it, it i can see where some people would definitely not love this kind of a retcon and while the story was was you know interesting it really does pull you in i want to know more at the same point in time, I can't help but kind of feel like that little pang of, damn, we can't have anywhere that's like fucking special as people of color. Like, you just took a really great conceptual place, this utopian parallel, and went, oh, no, no, that doesn't actually exist. It was just this white billionaire's private island. And it's like, oh, fuck, why did you have to give us reality? Like, we... We want something a little bit more fantastical, so to have that kind of pulled out from under, it's like, it's not bad, I just, I have questions. And I want to know where this goes, because, I mean, that that's a big retcon. That's not like, oh yeah, she has this one extra power, oh, this is why this power works, but it's not actually that. No, this is her, like, entire existence. This is the story she's told everybody who will practically listen. This is something that was so ingrained in her mind. And yeah, I can understand how it, how it would get stuck in a little kid's mind on, you know, my parents are from this place, and da-da-da. But I, I didn't think she was so young that she would have forgotten all of her uh, life before this island you know so I I don't see why she, why she thinks that there's this separation you know like did her parents never talk about the United States the mainland or you know like what was going on just like yeah. what there's so much more that needs to be explained and I felt like I got half an explanation in this so I'm hoping in the next couple of episodes or the next issue or two that they touch on that because if not it feels like a really a weak thread that's being pulled on yeah I mean after when I first read this my first because it's been a few days um since this has come out i'm at least like four or five um it gave me time to think about it when i first my first reaction was like oh i i like it but i, I it's well written i like the story itself but i'm like man i really did want that utopia with her two moms i'm glad she still has two moms i'm glad that wasn't a race because that would have been not good um but and like and i get i get the point of she was still technically latinx but then she technically wasn't because she was a multi-dimensional you know, dimensional being. So it's kind of icky. And now they're like fixing it in a way, or maybe they are, we don't know if this is like for real, for real. But they're like, if you're looking at just on this one, they're like, oh, well, you know, now we're making her actually Latinx. You know, it takes away her specialness of the character itself a little bit more, but then it actually gives, I guess, a hard concrete of representation rather than a multi-dimensional, maybe she is technically Latinx representation, you know? Um, but I do think that it's definitely more to the story because why did the sister just come to her now? How did she know she was sick? Where did she get all these kids from? How did she already make the machine again? Like it's all fitting to, it's very villainous setting up a story way too fast for their own good. And then she's going to slip up and it's going to fall apart. And we're going to find out that some of that story probably isn't true because we do still have two more issues. And if we, I did a look, cause I'm very big, like young Avengers fans. So I was thinking back 
back into their history. And if you go back to Young Avengers and, you know, they did face like a lot of reality warping and all that. And based on like Kid Loki's like construct, Leah, you know, that one um, manifest that tried to like manipulate the Young Avengers and everything, that could be manipulating her again because we don't know if that ever really dissipated. That could be a thing. Or it could be Kid Loki coming back or some other reality warping thing coming to mess with America to actually give her like a constant villain. And what better way to manipulate someone than mentally? True. Very true. Very, very true. Especially somebody somebody who has so many questions about who they are as a person. What makes them who they are? Is it the utopian dimension that makes them special? Or is it, um, you know, who they know they are and the identity that they have built with their family? Like, yeah, I, I, can, under, I can understand that. And I do really hope that they kind of um, give us a solid uh, next two issues so that we get some good answers. I'm not, I'm not, I'm by no means ready to go, oh, no, just throw the baby out with the bathwater kind of thing. I want to see where it goes. So while it was controversial, it raises some questions that I actually do want answers to. So of course, I'm going to keep reading it because I want to know how this goes. How well are they going to um, uh, address this story and, and, and a lot of America's personal identity? Yeah. This is one of the moments where I'm like, I am, I don't have a concrete judgment on it because I want to know where it's going. I understand why if they do do this as a solid thing, I understand why they're doing it, but I hope it is. I want to see how it, ex it is explained more next to issues. And then it really makes me go into it. It's not like make me Franklin not a mutant anymore type of deal. You know, it's different, even though that has its own, you know, purposes as well, but it's mm -hmm. not as icky. This is more of a, we're trying to maybe just develop this character more because this, we don't have much to America before like this solo. Like we do know mm -hmm. of her, but like her character development isn't that much. Mm -hmm. And now they're trying to do that, I feel like. So it has to have, it's a bumpy road to get there usually with characters. Mm -hmm. So this is her bumpy road. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. and one thing I do wonder in like the long run plan of plans of this is that what does this exactly mean for her introduction into the MCU? Like what um, origin are they going to go with in the Doctor Strange movie? Because hmm. it makes you wonder, too. are they going to do the, you know, the utopian parallel? Are they going to try something like this? Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Because it is a multi hmm. multiverse of madness. So I assuming they were going to do her alternate dimension mm -hmm. thing, but MCU mm -hmm. likes to blend things together, True. especially with a lot of characters they don't usually they go off the comic book but sometimes they go after many different alter, alternate versions of the comic book and they just mesh them together mm -hmm. and make that for character. all you know she could be this girl that's um kind of like lost from the utopian parallel and he and him and wanda find her mm -hmm. I, I mean they 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 tampered with the multiverse timeline as it were so yeah she could have been one of the one of the children or people just who accidentally got thrown out of their dimension from you know small tears that happened because of mm -hmm. you know this that or the other so it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they introduce her you're absolutely right kind of hope they introduce her from the parallel i'm just saying i, I hope so too just yeah i like introduce her from the parallel but also kind of make her also like set in stone latinx just so we can have that for the mcu for the representation but it's mm -hmm. very interesting because america chavez hasn't really had any interaction with scarlet witch or dr strange for that much honestly mm -hmm. like very little yeah just just her herself with them i can't think of a time where she's really had a, a conversation really with either one of them like a more than like one or two maybe in, in her like lines or something if that yeah. you know speaking of lack of interactions in general i am honestly 
shocked that America and Miles aren't like super close friends. I don't know. I I just picture that they would be really good friends. Right. Okay. So I wasn't the only person going, they're both young Latinx superheroes. Why don't we see more of them together? Like friendship wise and whatnot. Cause like, no, not everybody who's black is going to know each other. Not everybody who's Puerto Rican is going to know each other, but it would be really (laughs) great because you would see more of that connectivity between young hero characters Mm -hmm. if you saw them interacting like oh yeah you know hey we're gonna have you know barbacoa and everything over here going on at the front oh great you know as soon as i get out from you know my family thing we'll come over we'll hang out oh yeah my dad's got a bodega i would love to see that interaction just to see that kind of relationship develop um between two young heroes who, you know, sometimes you just need somebody you could like talk to or have downtime with or somebody who really gets the culture that you've been raised in. Yeah. And that would be great because um, in like a Miles book, it would be nice to have America occasionally appear. Mm-hmm. And it'd be nice. Uh, it would be, I would love that. <laughs> I feel like that's what, I feel like it was a missed opportunity to not have Miles in the book instead of Peter Parker, but I get why a Kalinda put Peter Parker instead of Miles. Well, I mean, first probably for just people are going to pick up a book that has Peter Parker in it but also just so it has more of a cultural dynamic clash with Peter Parker mm-hmm. being in like the Bronx and all that because he's not usually in there and then mm-hmm. she can rag on him a little bit better because you know he <laughs> is this like she doesn't know he's a white dude but he is this white like old, old, like middle aged white man so it's like you know it's I feel like it's more of like a, um, a clash of two different people just coming together and getting that like comical dynamic and that's what they were mm-hmm going for with having Peter Parker in here but mm-hmm. we could have gotten also that cultural togetherness with Miles Morales being in here as well yeah. so it's kind of a which one do you want more <laughs> kind of situation right I don't know who do but, who do you want to face off with your half sister more I mean or possibly full sister whichever I know I don't yeah I think I think it's probably I don't know I don't we, we didn't really get to that I mean with were. two moms you would usually have one who carries so mm-hmm. yes very well could be that they share dna yeah like could the, be that they're the, not who knows at this point who knows I, maybe they'll get explained and we'll and, and at that point if they if this is legit then do they have two different fathers and who are their fathers like even if they got like a donated sperm bank or whatever they still right. had to, technically fathers who are their fathers right that's still a, that's a plot point right there that could be mm-hmm. used and hopefully future america chavez books because this is only a five issue art yeah i hope this open whatever the outcome is of this whole art um like story-wise i hope we get more america chavez in books because this is such a fantastical character she needs to be use more oh yeah absolutely so let's say our we're doing a, a little quick run with this one let's say our final thoughts with this i'll have you go first robbie your final thoughts with this issue what are your hoping final for? thoughts i really do appreciate that kalinda made the decision to um make america like more of an accurate depiction of puerto rican representation um i'm still very unsure where some things are going like should we really be trusting what her sister is saying um you know because for all we know they could be it could all be like a half truth Mm -hmm. or but um 
I still feel kind of conflict. It's one of those things where I'm going to know exactly how I feel about this by the fifth issue because <laughs> I just don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. And one thing too is I'm actually low-key impressed with how Kalindo is able to do like big retcon after retcon in one issue. I was like, damn, mm-hmm. that's impressive. <laughs> at least she really at well. least she had a full story that I will absolutely yeah. give that to her. At least she had a full story on this retcon because Mm -hmm. if she had just expected us to swallow it with no story or with like that quick half a flashback that they do sometimes of oh yeah you get half a page to do a flashback to tell us why it's different no no they did a whole story hence the reason i can't i was like "Mm, but i but i like the america that i used to know Ooh, but i mean this is also a compelling story so yeah it's one of those things where i'm i'm stuck in that mid-ground where like i don't know which way i want this story to go but i'm interested in seeing how the story goes and and what they're going to do with this because there's honestly so much that is up in the air and yeah just there is oh it's so much it's so much to try and take in and 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 digest but i'm still very much interested to see okay which direction are we going because that could very much influence future books and titles with her i i do agree with both of your points i i have to say when i first read i don't usually look on internet opinions um but for this i wanted to because i'm not i'm not latinx I wanted to know other people's point of view. Um, that was probably the wrong thing to do. Don't do that on Twitter. Don't do it. Um, but I want to say the people who are listening, char- comic book characters or any characters in any you know form of media change all the time. Mm-hmm. And what well, like what, what you were saying, Raven, this story is well written. If you didn't know America from anything and you just read the story, you'd be like, oh, this is a compelling story. It's really flows. The art is great. It's mm-hmm. do- doing a job. You know, it's telling a good, flowing, cohesive story. And I'm excited for the next two i feel like with retcons like this are just kind of more in-depth um explanations for stories like this people have a a reactionary Mm -hmm. and i understand being reactionary but let's also it's not like it's the last issue of the book (laughs) let's wait until we get more of the issues and it's only like two more issues let's let's read those then let's give our reaction Mm -hmm. Um, because i mean people love the first two issues so much i heard so much talk about America that I haven't heard from before. That people mm-hmm. are like, these are so good. People are recommending the book. And mm-hmm. I don't want that. I hope that doesn't die down. And I hope people get the next two issues because mm-hmm. it's a good story. And I think we should follow it to the end and see where it's going. Because I think Kalinda has a good plot in mind. And I think we're going to get to a good point. Absolutely. 